we've been going through the book of Judges uh, in the last few weeks, and we have found, or I have found at least, that until we started this series, that I had a very kind of um, rosy view of the Judges. And um, without meaning to, uh, m- meaning this is a slight of Kids Church, because Kids Church is awesome, I think I had a very Sunday school understanding of the Judges. And it's been, it's been a challenging book to go through. Uh, I found it a really encouraging book to go through. And Gideon, the judge who I'll be speaking on this morning, he's been a bit of a hero of mine for a number of years. I, I've really been encouraged by this guy who, who lacked confidence and who grew to become uh, the man that God called him to be. I've really enjoyed his, his story. But as I've prepared this week, and as I've looked at Gideon's story uh, with part of the lens of looking at the book of Judges as being about the canonization of Israel and seeing what happens when God's people compromise, I felt as though I've kind of changed position and I've been staring at a portrait of Gideon that I felt I knew quite well but I'm seeing things slightly differently. But I still love Gideon. Gideon is still a great example to us, but perhaps not for the same reasons that I felt before I took the time to prepare this sermon. And as I've prepared this sermon, I've loved God even more, which is probably more important than loving Gideon more. And I think it's really important. Uh, One of the things that I think is good about looking at judges... with a kind of, I guess, a more balanced, honest, realistic view of who these judges were, is, I think, strengthening for us. I think we can be encouraged by seeing that these people, as flawed as they were, were still called and chosen by God and used by him to see his kingdom advance, to see his plans worked out. Because if you're anything like me, when you are faced with your own sinful actions or your own sinful responses, it shakes your faith. And you you go, gosh, how can God really love me? I thought I was better than this, and clearly I'm not. And when we read this, when we see this, we can take courage. We can go, wow, God's, God's grace really is total. His love for me really is unconditional. And so we can be strengthened that even in our doubts and in our failures, God still loves us. We don't need to be shaken when we are faced with our imperfections. We don't need to be shaken. We can be encouraged that even in those things, God loves us and he is working through us. And after what has been a challenging series of talks so far with fat kings and swords and tent pegs, and hammers, you might reasonably be hoping for a more esteemable judge. And it just gets worse. It just gets worse. And Gideon's story for me is it's the saddest so far. It's, it's especially sad because, as I say, I've seen Gideon in a different light, but I'm not discouraged by that. I still love him. Um, and once again, Gideon's story, as all of the stories of the judges have, has started once again, the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And this time, though, um, the people of Israel don't wait for the judge to die before they begin to turn away from God again. 
And we see an even greater decline of the moral and spiritual health of the people of Israel. But what's worse is that, in a way, whether intentionally or not, Gideon actually leads that turning away from God. And I'll be getting to that a bit later. And so once again, the people have done what was evil in the sight of God, and God gives them into the hand of the Midianites. And the Midianites are a heavy-handed people. They're very harsh. They've got camels that can't be numbered, people that can't be numbered. They devour any crops that the people of Israel grow. And uh, before, and they cry out to God for help, and God hears them. And this time, before he raises up a judge to help them, before he raises up Gideon, he sends a prophet to them. And this is the first time God's done this. Um, And it's like, you know, after all of these judges we've had so far, the people still aren't getting why they find themselves in this place where they're being oppressed by foreign armies. And so the prophet comes to them and says this, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of bondage and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. And so we're kind of left and the people of Israel would have been left going, oh man, (laughs) We really are the problem. It is really true that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It is really true that all of us, like sheep, have gone astray. That that other famous refrain in the book of Judges, that there was no king in Israel and everyone did as they pleased, this really is the problem. This is the problem. But God, who is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, once again faithfully raises up a judge to save them. And he raises up Gideon. And we know the story of Gideon well, or at least most of us will know the story of Gideon well. We've got a guy in Israel who, they are so afraid of the Midianites that Gideon is hiding in a wine press and threshing the wheat which is not the place to do that, but he's afraid that it will attract attention, that people will come and steal uh, what he has got. And the angel of the Lord comes to him and he says, he says, the Lord is with you, mighty man of valour. The Lord is with you, mighty man of valour. And Gideon doesn't believe him. He says, well, if the Lord is with us, then why is all of this happening? If God really is good, why is all this rubbish going on? But the angel of the Lord ignores Gideon's unbelief and repeats his call to him again with different words and says, go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. This guy who is beating out the grain inside a winepress, you are going to go and save Israel, you mighty man of valour. And again, Gideon does not believe God. And Gideon says, how can I save Israel? You know, my family is the least of the families in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And again, God tries to reassure him, and he says, but I will be with you, and you will strike the Midianites as one man. And after three promises, Gideon is only just warming up to believing God. He's only just warming up to believing God. And so he says to 
this guy? Is it the angel of the Lord? Is it the Lord? Um, he says to this guy, look, would you stay? If it is you, if I found favour in your eyes, if it is you, would you stay and would you show me some sign that is you? And the guy says, yes, I'll stay. And Gideon goes and prepares uh, some meat and some bread. And the sign that the angel of the Lord does is that he spontaneously incinerates this food offering and then he vanishes from in front of his eyes. And Gideon knows, okay, I ignored you three times, but I can't ignore this sign. It really is God that I've spoken with. Now I will act. And so he obeys. And in the dead of the night, because he's not that brave yet, he smashes the altar of Baal and the Asherim and he builds an altar to God and he sacrifices a bull on it to Yahweh. But he did it in the middle of the night. And in the morning when the people of the town see what's happened, they're furious. This is going to spell trouble. The Midianites are going to come and get us because of this. Who did this? And, and Gideon, the brave man that he is, hides behind his dad. And his dad tells everyone else to calm down, leave him alone. Let Baal contend for himself, his dad says. Leave Gideon alone. But something has been changing in Gideon. And the next thing we hear is that Gideon, um, he, he blows a trumpet and he writes letters to all of the people of the land and he calls them all to war. And what a man of valour he must have been in the letters that he wrote because everyone came. Everyone that he called to come came. But straight after this act of bravery, Gideon starts to falter again. And he lays out a fleece before God and he says to him, If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, behold, I'm laying a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece alone and it's dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And it was so. When he arose early the next morning and squeezed the fleece, he wrung enough dew from the fleece to fill a bowl with water. Then Gideon said to God, Let not your anger burn against me. Let me speak just once more. Please let me test just once more with the fleece. Please let it be dry on the fleece only, and all the ground let there be dew. And God did so that night, and it was dry on the fleece only, and on all the ground there was dew. So God had told Gideon three times what he wanted to do. Then he performed a sign. Then Gideon still asked for two more fleeces. But God, very graciously, when he could have been pointing fingers at Gideon, graciously continued to just work with him gently and patiently. And something seems to have changed in this moment after the fleeces. So after this, the next thing we hear is God says to Gideon, the people with you are too many to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, my own hand has saved me. Now therefore proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. Then 22,000 people returned home and 10,000 remained. So Gideon, this man who has been afraid, now, without any question or comment to God, lets 22,000 people go because he is now trusting in God for their salvation. He is not worrying anymore. Then God says that the people are still too many. You know, the, the Midianites, they are without number. They have camels without number. They are people without number. But God says these 10,000 are still too many. 
And so he says, any that drink by lapping it to their mouths, they must stay. Any that drink by kneeling down, they must go. And, and that happens, and 300 remain. And so now we have Gideon and 300 men, and they are the, uh, they are the army that God has chosen to go and win this victory against the Midianites. Then... God says to Gideon in the middle of the night, sorry, this is me trying to tell the story without reading the whole thing, being as concise as I can, but not doing very well. God, thank you, John. God says to Gideon in the middle of the night, he tells him to go down to the Midianite camp and just, to, just go there, go and listen. And when Gideon gets to the Midianite camp, he encounters two Midianite soldiers. And one Midianite soldier is telling the other soldier about a really obscure dream that he has, uh, has had. And he says to this guy... In my dream, I saw a loaf of bread rolling across my path. And the other Midianite soldier says, the interpretation is sure. This means that the Lord is giving Gideon, sorry, is giving the Midianites into the hands of Gideon. Now, I'm not big on dream interpretation, but that doesn't seem like an obvious interpretation to a rolling loaf of bread. But Gideon, who has disbelieved God three times, has had one sign by fire and two fleeces laid before him, now believes God is going to deliver them. It's quite strange that that was what it took for Gideon to believe God. And he runs back to the 300 men and he says, Arise, for the Lord has given the host of Midian into your hand. And he divided the 300 men into companies and put trumpets into their hands. Not swords, trumpets. He put trumpets into their hands of all of them and empty jars with torches inside the jars. This is not the sort of thing I want to be fighting a war with. Trumpets and jars with torches. And he said to them, look at me and do likewise. When I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. When I blow the trumpet... I and all who are with me then blow the trumpets also on every side of all the camp and shout, for the Lord and for Gideon. And they did as Gideon said, and the Midianites turned on each other in fear, and Israel won a great victory that day. We read later that 120,000 men of Midian died in that battle. 300 men with trumpets and torches and jars and 120,000 men of Midian fell. And Gideon and those 300 pursued the kings of Midian around the countryside. They went to two towns and asked for their help as they pursued these kings and the two towns refused to help Gideon. They said, you know, what if you don't win? You know, if you don't win and we've helped you, then the Midianite kings are going to deal really harshly with us. And so Gideon and the 300 men caught the two kings, killed them, and then returned. And then they dealt really harshly with these two towns. Remember, this is about the Canaanization of Israel and how, like the people around them, they have become, they are. The bit that we don't hear as often, and I'm almost finished with my telling of Gideon's story, is that they asked Gideon to be their king. So after all of this, they ask Gideon to be their king. And Gideon says, I will not be your king. My son will not be your king. The Lord will rule over you. But we're not totally sure if Gideon really meant that. Because in his very next breath, he asks for a king's share of all of the plunder of the battle that they've just thought. And then later, 
Gideon names one of his sons Abimelech, which means my father is king. So, had Gideon really, you know, had he assumed the position of king in Israel, you know, did he really mean, no, only God will rule over you, or really had his heart gone a little bit astray? After that, Gideon returns back to his hometown and he makes an ephod. Now, an ephod is a garment that the high priest wears when inquiring of God. There's only supposed to be one. Gideon makes one for himself, for his hometown. And it causes, and this is the words in the Bible, it causes all of Israel to whore after it. Gideon, whether deliberately or not, and it says that it became a snare to him and his, fa- a snare to him and his family, Intentionally or not, Gideon has become the leader of a cult's group. They are, they are idolatrously worshipping this ephod. So what can we learn from Gideon's story? Uh, what does it tell us about God? What does it tell us about us? How can we let this be an encouragement to us? And I want to say a few things, and then I want to tell you why I now the thing I now most love about Gideon's story. Gideon's story tells us that God is patient and faithful. If you find yourself going, well, if God's with me, if God really does love me, why is all this happening? This shows us God is faithful. God really is with us. He really does care. He really is working his plans for good for us. And we hate when it is slow, but it is happening. I wonder, it it just blows me away that God remains so patient with Gideon. As I say, he repeated a promise to him three times. He gave him a sign by fire, two fleeces, uh, an amazing victory, and and God was patient with him. And this is the thing. Um, I just want to talk quickly about the laying of fleeces before God because it's, it's a phrase that has entered into our language as Christians And I don't have a problem with the phrase because I'm pretty sure I know what we mean when we say it. But in this story, the laying of fleeces isn't really a good thing. The laying of fleeces in this story isn't really about receiving guidance from God. It's about overcoming unbelief. And so if you find yourself in a place where God has clearly said something to you and you've heard it perhaps three times, don't wait for a sign. Don't lay fleeces before God. Obey him and act. The fleeces here are not necessarily something that we should look up to. They're about him overcoming unbelief. They're not about getting guidance from God. God had already spoken. Uh, Gideon wasn't believing him. Gideon wasn't acting on what God had said. Another thing that this uh, story teaches us is that God calls us onwards. When God calls us, he comes to us and he speaks to us where we are, but he's calling us to what he has made us to be, to who he sees us as his children. When, when, when the angel came to Gideon, hiding in a winepress, threshing out the wheat, Gideon clearly wasn't a mighty man of valour. He clearly wasn't. But God had determined that Gideon was going to be a mighty man of valour. And so he comes and he says to him, you know, the Lord is with you, mighty man of valour. 
And we see as Gideon's story progresses that God does make him a mighty man of valour. And we see this in the New Testament as well, don't we? When Jesus approaches disciples sat under trees, or they're not his disciples at the time, and he says, come, follow me. God calls us out of the settled places that we are in, and he calls us to follow him. I can't remember who it was in worship today talking about the costliness of following him, the costliness of being his disciple. He, he comes to us where we are, but he calls us on. He calls us on. And so if we're in a place where we're looking around going, this is rubbish, God, if you're with us, why is this going on? God is calling you on from that place. It may be that you take three, uh, three promises, three signs. You know, It might be that God's patient with you, but know that he is calling you on. He's not going to leave you in that place forever. The last thing that I want to share that I think Gideon's story teaches us is that there is a fine line between godly assurance and between sinful self-confidence. What a facepalm moment when Gideon says, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. No, not for you, Gideon. Not for you at all. It is for the Lord. It is for his name only, not for you at all. Gideon has gone too far. He was a weak and feeble man, and as he has stepped into his identity, his heart has gone astray, and now he's become proud, he's become arrogant, he has forgotten himself and his place. As I say, he calls his son Abimelech, my father is king. And this is so hard, isn't it? It's why God tells us to live by the Spirit, because if we walk in our flesh, we will gratify the desires of our flesh, selfish ambition and, and the like. That's what we've got Gideon here. But if we walk by the Spirit, we will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Gideon would love to see what we see now, to live with the Holy Spirit living in us, writing the laws of God on our hearts, being our guide, leading us in his ways, transforming us from one degree of glory to another, slowly but consistently. So they're the three things that I have uh, taken away from Gideon's story, but I want to share with you now why I absolutely love, this is the thing that I love most about this story, and I didn't know this until I prepared this week. So this is brand new for me, so I might not explain it very well. But, um, 300 men armed with trumpets and torches routed an army far greater than them. You know, we, we, we do read that 120,000 died in the battle. 300 men routed 120,000 people. Um, and I want to turn now to Isaiah chapter 9, even though it is not Christmas. Okay? So, because, and this really excited me hearing this, but there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Natali. There are two places that Gideon wrote to to call the army to come to him to fight this battle. They were under the hand of the Midianites. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. The people in, uh, the people 
in, um, sorry, in Ophrah and wherever Gideon was when he called them to battle, they wouldn't have had lights, they wouldn't have been drawing attention to themselves in the hillside. And so when Gideon and his 300 men smashed their torches and released their lamps and the light shone, that's what they saw. And that is what uh, Isaiah says happened in Jesus' coming. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shined. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. This battle that God won is is the is the picture of what Jesus did. This light that just broke out and sent the enemy's armies into complete disarray is a picture of what Jesus did. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace." Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So forever, Gideon's obedience, despite his failings, is a picture of what God has done in sending his son. This random, seemingly innocuous act of smashing some jars and letting light escape was something that sent the army of the enemies of Israel into complete disarray so that they destroyed themselves. 300 men didn't need to do anything except smash some jars and 120,000 people destroy themselves. Jesus entered this world, the light came into this world and threw the forces of darkness in this world into complete disarray. Demons fled from him. Uh, The prince of this world, Satan, used the sin in men's hearts to crucify Jesus, but that was God's plan all along and we find the enemies of God unable to cope with this plan that God has brought out, that light would come and just completely turn the forces of evil into complete disarray. Jesus' entry into human history did that. This battle of Midian is a picture of that. That's what Isaiah 9 tells us. And so now sin and death are defeated Though we all will die, yet we shall live. And so now God has chosen that he will make his plea to a world that he loves through us. And so we say to people, be be reconciled to God. Recognise your sin, your need for him, his great love for you, his faithfulness to you, that he is gentle and patient that he will lead you from the place that you're in into a place of wholeness, into a life that you couldn't dare to hope or imagine that you could experience. It is a wonderful, life-changing stuff, and we don't experience it 
every moment of every day, Bernard said that, didn't, didn't he? You know, rejoicing it doesn't mean it's always great, but it means that in the midst of trials, we know that we have a Father who loves us, who is with us. We know that we've been saved and added into a family who supports us. We heard that from Lynn and Alan this morning as well. We can know that we are not alone. We can know that God is working all things for good and that evil won't go unpunished. Zeba and Salmunna, the two kings that Gideon chased down and killed of Midian, they didn't escape. The evil deeds done today won't escape the judgment of God. But God is good and he is faithful and he loves the earth. So I do still love Gideon. I do still love Gideon. He's still a great example to us. I hope that he is still an encouragement to you. But his story, as with every story, it is far less about him than I think we, uh, than we usually think. And it is far more about God and his goodness and his patience and his faithfulness to his people. I hope that's been of some help to you. I'm going to pray. Ben, can we, can we spend some time in worship again? Thank you. Let me, sorry, I'm going to, we, as I say, I, I did, um, where we could have carried on worship, worshipping earlier, I did say, no, we will stop and I will share this sermon, but God is still with us. God is still uh, wanting to speak to us and encourage us, so let's do what we did at the start. Let's consider the implications of the fact that our loving Heavenly Father wants good for us. He wants to meet with us. He wants to tell us how much he loves us. And, um, yeah, so let's... I'm going to pray while the band get ready. Yeah. Father, I thank you that you are so good. I thank you that you are so patient and so gentle with us. Even though we don't deserve it, you still just pour your love into our lives and we are so grateful and so Holy Spirit I want to ask again right now that you would come and meet with us that we would taste your presence with us again that we would feel your presence with us again just as we did before we stopped worshipping Lord we love to be your people Lord we want to know your equipping and your empowering throughout the week and so we need you now So we pray, would you come and fill us in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus. 